listening to the Lone Star Voice Podcast, Episode 1. I could let this song just keep on playing. I love the Foo Fighters. Matter of fact, I'll give you a little history lesson on this song. Dave Grohl, uh, when the song was written, see, I think it was in 2002 when he wrote it. Um, it was about the uh, 9-11 attacks. And uh, he wanted to write a song that was uh, uplifting for the community. The uh, listeners. So we wrote this song, Times Like These. Kind of reminder, you know, things can be cut short, but it's a great song. Great album, too. Great band. Heck, I'll keep on going with the history lesson with Dave Grohl. After Nirvana, he was the drummer for Nirvana, uh, Kurt Cobain uh, committed suicide. He then went on a short tour with. Um, Gosh, what was it? Oh, Tom Petty. Yeah, went on tour with Tom Petty and uh, for like a month or two. And uh, whenever the tour was kind of slowing down, uh, Tom Petty actually asked Dave Grohl to join the band. <laughs> so uh, six degrees of separation there. So imagine that, Dave Grohl on drums with Tom Petty. Man, that would have changed history. Because uh, I would uh, argue with anybody that the Foo Fighters now are uh, probably up there with uh, Rolling Stones, uh, Aerosmith, as far as longevity. Um, you don't have to like all of their music, but they've been around for about 20, I think 25 years, 20 years, something like that. So, uh, yeah, big Dave Grohl fan right here. You're listening. So, welcome to the Lone Star Voice Podcast. My name is Jamin Spidell. I'm your host. And um, let me give out some social media. Uh, Twitter handles, Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, you can reach us at, at LSV online. Again, that was at LSV online. And a simple search on Facebook for Lone Star Voice should land you on our page. And if you'd like to read uh, any of our blogs because that's kind of important. We need that. We have a ton of material, ton of material. LoneStarVoiceOnline.org is where you can see all of our blog posts. Anywho, so episode one. It's the real deal here. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about on this episode is voter fraud. And um, I know there's a lot of misconceptions about what is voter fraud. And there's various degrees of it, um, but I can tell you now that uh, before my interview with uh, Direct Action Texas' um, Aaron Harris, who uh, you will be hearing the interview shortly, um, my thought of voter fraud was, okay, you vote, and uh, there's someone there counting the votes, and they're putting a piece of paper in one pile, and then putting a piece of paper in another pile, and, you know, Two go here, one go there, three go here, one go there. You know, it was, you know, wringing their hands and just sitting there doing it like that. Well, it's not exactly. There's a little technology into all this, too. A lot of deception. And um, so it was very interesting to uh, hear about voter fraud. And uh, I did an interview with Aaron Harris, and he opened my eyes to a lot of issues because... Uh, granted, this is, you know, hit, 
his response was into the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he said, you know, it happens everywhere. So it's good to kind of get an idea of what exactly we're facing whenever someone's talking about voter fraud because uh, it can go from, you know, hundreds to thousands, and that adds up. It may not add up, you know, in a presidential election maybe, but it does in a local level, especially when a uh, candidate may win or lose by, let's just say, 50 to 100 votes. Well, that matters. It, it absolutely does. So hang on here, and we're going to play the interview right about now. Now, um, okay, can you start off with talking to us about your website, directactiontexas.com? Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that's important about uh, politics is, is to get the information out there. And so about a year or so ago, I started uh, our website, DirectActionTexas.com. My organization has been around under that umbrella, Direct Action Texas, since 2014. Um, but, um, but we started the blog about a year ago. And so this is the place people can go and find out about the work that we've been doing, mm-hmm. which um, most of our work is that, that we do publicly is related to election integrity and or government integrity. So uh, what, what I mean by government integrity, for example, we just broke a story yesterday about a justice of the peace here in Tarrant County mm-hmm. whose office uh, you know, can't account for $60,000, and there's about to be an indictment. The, uh, there's an investigation going on. We broke a story two weeks ago about a constable with missing drugs and stuff. Wow. But, um, the majority of our, of our, our work, as far as I'm direct out from Texas.com, is uh, related to, to Maryland Fab, right. uh, which is where, you know, a lot of our efforts are spent. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, now, and so, and now what is, uh, just to back up a little bit, what exactly is mail-in fraud? Great question. So in 2015, I was involved in an election, which uh, the outcome was very suspicious, to say the least. Right. And so we started hearing these rumors about mail-in fraud or ballot harvesting. Probably I've never heard the term ballot harvesting. Okay. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a guy who lives in the suburbs and never heard of this term called ballot harvesting. This, this race was in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, after so many people tell you about it, I, I decided to look into it. I met with a couple of people. And what I quickly started finding out was in certain communities, everybody was aware of this mail-in fraud situation. Um, let me tell you what it is. Okay. Now, when you can you can vote by mail for one of four different reasons. The, the vast majority is being 65 or older. Anybody that's 65 or, or older right. is eligible to vote by mail. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're disabled, if you're going to be out of the county during early voting or during the election season, and or if you're temporarily incarcerated but eligible to vote, you're also eligible to vote by mail. Right. Okay? So... Does that make sense? Percent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 99% of the mail-in ballots are for people over the age of 65. So if you look at, for example, Tarrant County municipal races, mm-hmm. uh, a mere eight years ago, we had about 3% of the total votes were mail-in ballots. That's normal. 3 to 8% is kind of a normal range. In eight years, we've gone from 3% to about 36%. Wow. Think about that. <laughs> um, in Dallas, we just have, there, there's an ongoing, lots of headlines, 
investigation over barracks. It's, it's been the, it's the story of the town right now. Right. They actually impounded a bunch of ballots for the May election. So this is mainstream media covering this. But in Dallas, they have 14 single-member districts. Right. And uh, in their May election, the mail-in ballot count ranged from 5 to 8% for, for, for the districts where this is not transpiring, all the way up to 45% of the total votes were mail-in ballots. So, how does that matter? What they do is these mail-in ballot or harvesting operations will actually um, fill out and do the applications for the voters. Most often, the voter doesn't even know that the application was filled on their behalf. Really? And, um, and so, yeah. So, if you look at the applications, uh, the signatures on the applications, they don't match the signature on the carrier envelope. So they're forged. And so what they'll do is they, they're forged. That's yeah. right. And so, or, or we find operations that use digital signatures. They, they, they'll go to a door with an iPad having a, a petition for, you know, the Republicans are trying to take African Americans' right to vote away or Hispanics' right to vote away or anybody's right to, you know, women's right to vote away. Right. And they'll sign our petition to protect your right to vote. You sign the petition, they now have your signature, they look down, they use it to print it on there. Oh, okay. man, that's so dangerous because so, I, I, you see those all the crazy. time. <laughs> yep, yep. So what happens is now this the vote harvesting operation will send in thousands of applications. And then elections department gets the application, sees their registered voter, turns around and sends out the ballot. Now, the way these operations work is they, they do this in a... Uh, organized manner so that they know when the ballots are going to get sent to what areas. Right. Okay? Once the ballot is sent out, they know when it's going to hit. So, for example, in Tarrant County, you pretty much have an overnight turnout. They mail you a ballot on Thursday. It's going to be there on Friday. Right. And that's where, and now this next part is where the quote-unquote harvesting operation comes into play. Okay. So they will then, um, and I'll give you an example in Fort Worth. They will fax them in a lot. So they fax them on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. Because if they fax them on Wednesdays, Terrence County will process it and mail it back out on Thursday. They will then be in the voters' mailbox, mailbox on Friday or Saturday. Right. The harvester then goes to the house, knowing who received the ballot because they're the ones who did the applications. They then show up at the house. The first thing they do is check the mailbox, hoping that the, the ballot's in the mailbox. Right. Um, if it's in the mailbox, they will show up at the door and get the voter to sign their carrier envelope. Let me back up and explain what that is. When you mm-hmm. vote by mail, right. you um, sign, you fill out your ballot, you fold it, you put it in what's called the carrier envelope. That's the envelope that you mail it back to the county in. On that carrier envelope, once you seal it, you sign the carrier envelope. Right. And that's the signature to quote-unquote verify that you voted, okay? Right. So they get... They get the carrier envelope out of the mail box if they can, and that's where they will go and harvest that vote. So, for example, they showed up at Mr. Gomez's house. They said, you know, let's go. You need to vote by mail. Blah, blah, blah. Mr. Gomez happens to live right in front of the polling location. So why would I vote by mail? The polling location is 60 feet across the street. Right. So she pushes and pushes. Finally, she realizes she's not going to vote. She finally says, okay, sir, my boss pays me per, per voter I engage, and you're my last one for the day. Will you sign my sheet so I get credit for engaging you so I can go home. Well, who's going to say no to that? Right. So he says, sure. Uh-huh. So she hands him the clipboard. He signs. She says, well, your wife signed. He says, sure. She goes, he goes gets his wife. She signs. They walk across the street a couple weeks later to vote and guess what? They've already been 
<laughs> They've already voted. Yeah. That's right. So when we questioned Mr. Or Mr. Gunrights about it, come to find out, long story short, Mr. Gunrights had signed his own carrier envelope under the guise of signing for her Florida for the day. Okay? Yeah. And so if you, when you go pull that evidence and you look at that, the application is her handwriting. Wow. She filled out the application. She signed for Mr. Gomez and his wife. But the carrier of it, the actual ballot, it's his signature. <laughs> but it, he didn't sign it under the pretense of, his, of him voting. Right. right? Um, you have, uh, in Dallas, you have some guys who use fruit baskets. And I kid you not, you can't make this up. They, they form what's called Operation Harvest. Oh, my gosh. It's a nonprofit. <laughs> yes. It delivers fruits and vegetables to seniors. Well, they don't tell you this, but during election season, okay? Right. So Operation Harvest delivers fruits and vegetables. So why do they do that? So back to the pattern. They, they know when the ballots are arriving. So they'll show up at that senior's door when the ballots are supposed to be there and, um, and, and deliver the fruits and vegetables knowing that that ballot arrived that way or the previous day. Once they're in the house, they start stopping, talking to the senior about the community and how they're here to help and serve, yada, yada, yada. And at some point in the conversation, they were asked if their ballot arrived, and they were asked them to make sure they vote, let us help you make sure that our community is represented. Right. We need to make sure that we're not underrepresented. Let's represent, let me help you with that ballot. <laughs> now, at that point, the voter gets the ballot, they open the envelope, and what they use, they use confusion to their benefit. When you open the the envelope that comes from the county, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's instructions in English. There's instructions in Spanish. Right. There's a letter from the Secretary of State thanking you for voting. There's a security envelope, a carrier envelope, a ballot. It's very confusing. They say, here, we'll just help you with it. Just sign this, and we'll take care of everything else. Yeah. But mind you, these people, are, by and large, they're 75 plus. Legally, they could be 65 plus. But if you look at the uh, who they're harvesting, most right. of them are 75, 80 years old. Not uncommon to have 90, 92, 93-year-old people. Right. And so they say, just sign this, we'll take care of it. Okay, Tony, just vote <laughs> for the Democrat or vote for the this or vote for the that. Right. The voter doesn't know who the harvester just filled out on the ballot. They just signed the, the carrier envelope, right. and now they've just been harvested. That's the term, vote harvested. Wow. Now, you say, well, how many of these can they possibly do? Right. So in Tarrant County, in a 24-month period, we documented 28,000 of these. Wow. Now, that's <laughs> in a Republican county. Right. Okay? In Dallas County, it's much worse. Um, here's the interesting thing is we received a tip and went somewhere we never thought we would, and that is to a rural county. We went to Harrison County, which is far east Texas. It's the county uh, adjoining Shreveport, Louisiana, okay, on the Texas side of the border. Gotcha. And there's a little town there called Marshall, Texas. Oh, yeah. And guess what we found? We found a boat harvesting operation in Marshall, Texas. Um, and so, one of the biggest notions I think that we have is that this just happens in urban centers. Right. Um, and, um, and we found that <laughs> that was about the case. So, so that your listeners know, we have, due to, due to investigations that we've conducted here at Direct Action Texas, and, and complaints we've submitted with the SOS, who then goes to the Attorney General, mm-hmm. we have ongoing criminal investigations for vote harvesting in Tarrant County, Dallas County, in Harrison County, not to be confused with Harrison County, Harrison County. Right. Um, and so, and we have more to come. Wow. I, you know, can you just imagine, can you just imagine if they were to get into a Harris County or 
you know. Oh, they're uh, doing it in Harris County, guaranteed. Right. They're doing it. Just nobody's brought to them yet. I mean, this has been going on for for a while. There, there's been so the AG is, has indicted people in, in in numerous counties, including Harris County, for this. Right. Uh, the most famous case is down in the valley back where I love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, both in Cameron Hill and over at Eagle Pass, they brought people from operations doing this. Um, as a matter of fact, in Eagle Pass, they were able to show that school board members and some local guys stole their election doing this. Three school board members committed suicide. Wow. School board president hung himself January 1st, 2012. If you Google school board president, Eagle Pass, you know, hanging himself, right. you'll see on January 1st, 2012, he, he, he committed suicide over vote harvesting. That is um, terrible. It's crazy. And nobody's heard of these stories, right? Yeah, no. I, this, is, this is the first time I'm hearing about this in Eagle Pass. And, uh, you know, I've heard uh, everything you're talking about, I've heard in passing, okay? And the problem I, I right. had, and, and, you know, the reason why I contacted you is, I mean, I don't know what voter harvesting about harvesting is. I don't I, What exactly? When I think of voter fraud, <laughs> I'm thinking... Um, okay, everyone votes, and then they're counting the votes, and then they're just like, one for you, one for you, one for you, one for him, one for him, you know, and they're just separating everything by hand. And so in the digital age, um, it almost sounds like credit card fraud. You know how they they get numbers, and but this seems a little more uh, elaborate, actually. (laughs) Uh, Usually credit... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, it really is. It's, it's, it's an interesting. Um, it's an interesting deal. Not only the, the structure of the whole thing. So one of the things that we do is we we look at the entire organizational chart um, of of the operation. In other words, if you look at the Cameron County, Cameron County, Hidalgo County, you know they put six people in felony jail down there for this um, through 2012 through 15. They finally finished up on the prosecution. But the way the law is written, is it's very hard to get the people that are actually organizing and paying for this stuff. Right. So typically what happens is they just get the canvasser or the place to get them. So the canvasser is the actual person going door to door, who is traditionally a, a middle to older age, Hispanic female or African American female. Right. Okay. And the reason that that's the demographic is because these people show up at the doors uh, very motherly, very sisterly, as if they're doing a service for the elderly voter. Right. The voter thinks they're being helped, and really they're being they're being preyed upon. Yeah, they're being uh, taken advantage of. And, and one of the interesting things to note, by the way, is in the Hidalgo Cameron County, you had six people went to jail. Their defense attorney was the Democratic state chairperson, Hannah Hosa, who still to this day publicly does press releases saying voter fraud doesn't exist. <laughs> I, I would love to see what his clients who are sitting in jail have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of like uh, an oops. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's a very, very hard... The, the problem with voter fraud, the reason that people get away with this narrative that it doesn't exist is twofold. One, it's incredibly hard to prosecute. It's incredibly hard to prosecute because the election code and the penal code is very loosely written mm-hmm. in regards to election fraud. It's nearly impossible to convict somebody on these things. Wow. Most of the things that you can actually prove are simple misdemeanors. Right. And 
it's kind of something on wrist. Yeah. That's right, that's right. And they always, they plead it out to deferred adjudication. Right. So the media comes around and says, okay, district attorney or attorney general, show us how many convictions you have. They don't have any because they were all pleaded to deferred adjudication. Right. Okay? Right. And so the number of convictions they have are very small. Okay. That is why Governor Abbott has included, if you look at Governor Abbott's special session club. And that's exactly where I was going to one, next. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> included one very specific thing. Which is increased penalties for Maryland ballot fraud. Okay. And, and here's the thing that listeners need to understand. We can go, a lot of people are like, well, we need to modify this and the election code, that election code. I agree. The election code needs a lot of help. Here's the problem. We can modify the election code, they're just going to build a better math truck. Right. Okay. Until we actually give it teeth mm-hmm. so that those committing these, these, these crimes, these uh, uh, illegal activities, go to jail. So we give it teeth, really, we're spinning our wheels by editing the, the election code. The election code needs to modify. Don't, don't think I'm not suggesting it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is the, the, the first part we need to do is actually start penalizing some of these guys, primarily or especially the guys that are organizing and funding these operations. Okay. Right. Uh, and that's important for people to understand. Right. Well, now, okay, uh, that sounds, I mean, uh, I sound good and everything, but like you said, it's hard to go up the food chain in the operation. Now, that takes time, resources. Um, do you see that ever happening? Well, so the interesting thing is, in the regular session, we passed a RICO, we, we added uh, election fraud to the organized crime statutes of the Texas Penal Code. Okay. okay. So we, we now have an organized crime so, so, so basically, we didn't, in a we didn't t- increase the penalties. Right, and so basically, okay. that's organized crime. It, you're tre- treating it like it's the mob, basically. <laughs> An organized. <laughs> so what's funny about it is, is it's structured the same. Okay. And it really wasn't until some of the um, some of the investigators from the Attorney General's office pointed out to me that I really kind of thought about that later. Because because these, these guys are structured. It's an organized crime, and it is. But let me tell you, at the top you have the, the, the fat cats, if you will, that are paying for this. Right. Okay? Below them you have consultants or strategists, the guys that, that pull, pull out the strategy data. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a little bit of brain about them, right? Mm-hmm. Beneath them is going to be like you have your field bosses. Right. And then underneath the field boxes are the actual canvassers or policy canvas. Right now, the only people we've ever been able to expose and bust are, are, are at that lower level. So right. you can see we're missing out on a bunch of others. Mm-hmm. Now, the um, so you have, that's the vertical structure. Horizontally, they're very siloed. And what I mean by that is you will have operations in different parts of town and within different ethnicities that are very separated and they don't know about each other and who's doing what. So, for example, I'm just, the, the easy style to make is you have an operation doing this in the Hispanic community, and you have an operation doing this in the African-American community, right. and those two shall never meet each other as far as operationally, but they go back to the same consultants. At some point, that funnel comes down to you know, the same people um, being the money of the consultants, and, and but they don't have the same ground bias, and they don't have the same... Uh, harvesters or canvassers. Right. So um, it, it's structured very much like the mob in that if you nail a canvasser, 
mm-hmm. and they bring in a blood pressure brings in a cancer, they don't necessarily know who the other cancers are. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and it's it, it's it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, it's isolated. So it's yeah. very it's isolated. It's very much an organized crime situation. Um, in September uh, of 2016, there was a hearing down in the uh, Texas Higher Elections Committee, and they had a prosecutor from the Attorney General's Office in there, and uh, Mike Schofield from the Houston area asked this prosecutor, he said, would you say that our problem in Texas is what we call voter impersonation, which is where one person shows up at the polls, pretending to be somebody else, and votes on their behalf, or is our problem organized groups using mail-in ballot fraud to steal and power elections. And this prosecutor, who, who, by the way, prosecuted every case I've mentioned to you on the phone just now, right. uh, so far, uh, th- this prosecutor said our problem in Texas is definitely organized groups stealing and power elections using mail-in harvesting. Wow. Um, this guy, I'll give you another example, in 2010, he removed uh, Justice of the Peace in Dallas County, who, who used mail-in ballot fraud to, uh, to win his election. And one of the things he did, not only did he harvest ballots from, from others, he actually harvested ballots from people that didn't even live in the district, and they registered to vote in the district even though they didn't live there in order to send in ballots on their behalf. And that was actually his job, so he overplayed his hand. Man. That particular gentleman uh, left the Medrano family. In Dallas, you have three big Hispanic families who, who run known ballot harvestings. You have the Medrano family, who's well-known that Multiple family members have been to jail for this stuff. Right. Uh, headed by Robert Medrano, they're kind of patriarch. And then Adam Medrano is on the Dallas City Council. Um, you have the Garcia family, which is famous trial lawyer, Domingo Garcia, who used to be a, a state rep, and um, he was on Dallas City Council. His wife's currently a Dallas uh, County Commissioner, Elvin Garcia. And Domingo Garcia is well-known to not only uh, run voter harvesting operations in Dallas, but also in Tarrant County and other places. Domingo largely helps finance these operations. And, and then you have um, um, the, um, my man's still blank on the, on the last family. Um, but anyhow, there's there's three big Hispanic families in Dallas that, that help run these operations. In the African-American community, it's interesting because it's not typically family-oriented, but rather um, kind of neighborhood, followed um, by neighborhood, organized. Yeah. Organized, yeah. Hmm. Well, that's scary. That there are uh, the Alonzos are the other family battle. Sorry, Alonzos. Okay. Well, that's just <laughs> Robert. Are you familiar with Robert Alonzo? He's a state rep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the family. Wow. <laughs> okay. Enough yeah. said. Okay. Well. Yeah. Man, this goes deep, man. <laughs> This, I, I feel like I'm yeah. listening to like a A&E bi- biography or something on, you know, a cartel or <laughs> well, something. It, well, that's right. But, but, but here's the thing that voters need to or listeners need to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, we have found both in our investigative work as well as in talking to law enforcement, they, they, their experience is the same around the state. Most people think of voter fraud in the terms of national politics. Exactly. What we have found is that most of this voter fraud is happening in the in the primaries and the municipal races. And I tell this to people, and they, and they go, why aren't they doing it in November? And let's think, there's two reasons for that. And, and first off, the reason it happens in the primaries, by and large in the primaries, it's a Democrat on Democrat crime. Right. But, um, in 
November, our districts, we, we're literally in, in court right now as we speak, right? The state of Texas is redistricting itself through the court process, if you will. Right. Courts have made us redraw our lines. But our districts, as everybody knows, are gerrymandered to either be Republican or Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, take, let's take state government, for example. We have 181 senators and state reps. Only, according to Texas Tribune's analysis, we have, I think, eight or nine that are actually contested in November. The rest <laughs> of those swing districts, the rest of those are all either Democrat or Republican. Right. There is no need to fight in the general because it's a rigged game and it's baked into the case, right? In right. November, those districts are baked into the case. The fight's in the primary. So they do some fighting in the primary, but here's where the vast majority of this happens. It's on the local elections. Right. And... People are always surprised by that, and, and, and but they need to go back and look at what drives this. Yes. This isn't a partisan thing. This isn't a Democrat versus Republican thing. This is about graft. Right. The biggest funder of vote harvesting in the state of Texas is a law firm who's in the business of collecting taxes for governments. Who's the biggest local tax, property tax uh, collector? government level in the state of Texas, school districts. Absolutely. Okay? School districts, school districts, not only do school districts account for 52% roughly of the state budget, but they are the cumulatively, if you look at the, the, the amount of money being spent on school districts by property tax locally, it's much larger than the entire budget of the state of Texas. Right. School districts are the largest government, probably in the United States, but definitely in Texas by far. Next, property taxes, you have the cities. Right. So the city's also hired this up. So this law firm goes out, spends money, getting people elected, who will give them the contract to go out and collect not only property taxes, but red light cameras and weed lean, what we call weed lean fees. You know, if you don't mow your yard, they'll come up for you and put a lien on your house. Oh, yeah. Uh, code violations. All those types of collections, okay, are collected by this law firm. Wow. So for them, it is worth it for them to live on the edge and get some people elected who are going to make sure they have the contract. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Mm-hmm. They, they invested heavily in Fort Worth School District, Fort Worth ISD. Right. They have now secured eight out of the nine school board trustees in Fort Worth ISD. Mm-hmm. And because of that, last May, they got an eight-year contract extension, no bid, no, not, no debate, no nothing. Eight years. Who the heck gets an eight-year contract? <laughs> well, school districts. When you... <laughs> But when you've bought and paid for eight out of the nine, you get an eight-year extension. Yeah. And that one voter did, thankfully, vote against it. That one trustee did vote against it. The issue thing is I have a letter from the, the, the guy that's the, the ground boss, if you will, mm-hmm. for this law firm to the managing partner of the law firm. What he lays out of the account, he was, he was asking for a raise in this letter. And I secured this. There was, a, there was evidence in a, in a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And I was able to go in after the fact and get this uh, out of I spent days going through boxes and boxes of evidence and found this letter. It's great. I'm going to go public with it here soon. Mm-hmm. And in this letter, he asks for a raise. And he justified it by laying out all the cities and school districts he brought on <laughs> to uh, Barbara Gogan and Associates uh, as new accounts. And he said, the reason we've been so successful getting these accounts is because we identify and run candidates for office who are willing to run for the office, vote us the contract. Right. And that's, that is what people need to understand is what drives voter fraud. It's money. Yeah. It is money, money, money. And, and so Ryan Bowles and Gogan over the last, you know, 
10, 15 years has exploded from a local shop to a massive player. And by the way, has at least a dozen state senators and state reps on their payroll. <laughs> okay? Right. Um, and they have exploded because they're very politically engaged. Right. And that's code word for right. <laughs> yeah. very heavily involved getting people elected local Right. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's what people need to understand. This isn't about Democrat versus Republican. Mm-hmm. It's about graft. Money and power, which is kind of go hand in hand. That's right. Man. That's right. That's <laughs> you laid a lot down for us on that one, man. <laughs> well done. <laughs> that, that was... Well, I appreciate it. I, I feel like I just watched a biography, and I'm, I'm like, man. What? <laughs> so, okay, what can we look for? Hey, I, <laughs> you know, I, I feel weird because it's just my life, right? But it's <laughs> <laughs> right. It's you never heard it. It is pretty... Uh, yeah, no, this is, pretty interesting. Th- I, you know, like I said, I've I've heard um, voter fraud, you know, this or that, and I didn't really know what voter fraud was. I had the idea in my head, you know, you know, but it, right. obviously that's not what it is. Um, you just kind of outline. Well, let me be clear. There, there's other types of fraud, right? We, right. Our specialty is known voter fraud, but that's not the only thing that goes on. Well, do you, can you elaborate on that? Because I'm, I'm ready to just kind of, because I'd like to open it up. Well, <laughs> or do you want to save that for another conversation? Because <laughs> you never well, know. No, it's real. I'll be, I'll be 100% transparent. Like, we stick to our wheelhouse. Our wheelhouse is mail-in ballot or loading fraud. Right. In-person fraud's real. Electronic machines are a problem. Right. Um, it, it, let, me give you, let me give you another case to make a point. Mm-hmm. So in, we have an ongoing uh, open criminal investigation in Hill County, which is um, Hillsborough, Texas, where I-35, W, and E come together, staff for Dallas, Fort Worth, Metroplex. Gotcha. So in Hill County, the 2016 Republican primary, we started looking at that one. Because in, <laughs> right away, we found some really weird stuff, primarily the fact that the official results uh, still to this day, show 9,038 ballots being cast. Okay. Right? You follow me? Gotcha. 9,038 is the official county-wide uh, result. The only problem with that is only 7,171 people voted in that election. Oops. <laughs> one, of those, one of those okay. is not like the other. So, <laughs> that's right. Now, when I grew up, mm-hmm. I was taught the principle of one voter, one vote. So you have to have at least as many voters as votes. You can have more voters than votes because people can undervote right. in an election, right? Right. So, but you, you cannot have more votes than voters. Right. So in this case, we have 19.29% more votes than voters. So we contacted, the, and there was other problems, that's just the, the overlying uh, result is 19.29 more votes than voters. We contacted the county about it. They said, obviously, we didn't know what we were talking about, but somebody else would have caught this. Now, here, this is an important point to catch. Right. It took them two and a half months to get us this data. We requested it two days after the primary. It took them two and a half months. They didn't get it just till June. We, um, uh... We did the data analysis. We immediately found this. This was really easy. Then we had to do the underlying uh, breakdown of all the data. When we contacted them, the Republican Party, the Phil County, obviously ran the primary. They certified this election. The county certified Kansas' election. The Republican Party of Texas 
standards for all the multi-state or multi-county races on that ballot, which would be like state reps, Senate, all the national, you know, congressional senators. And not to mention this was the Donald Trump presidential primary, okay? Right. So the Republican Party of Texas certified all those numbers. So there's three, right? You have the county party, the state party, the county itself. Then the SOS had accepted all these numbers as, as being true. Mm-hmm. None of them bothered to say, hey, there's 20% more votes than voters. Yeah, red flag. So one of the things, yeah, one of the things I've learned over the last two years is there's nobody in Texas with that job. So one of the things about government is unless there's a positive requirement to do something, it's not going to happen. And even if there is a positive, it might not happen. But it's definitely not going to happen if there's not a positive definition, this is your job. Right. Joe Blow, your job is to make sure that the numbers add up. Check them out. Yeah. There's nobody with that job. <laughs> so we come along and we say, okay, there's 20% more votes than voters. Long story short, um, the, the, the AG came in and, and confiscated or impounded everything last fall. There was a, a criminal investigation recount on November 9th. That investigation is... is you know, still with the Attorney General, I don't know what's going on. Here's what I can tell you. Mm-hmm. We've documented that the, the vast majority of that was due to just simply ineptness on their part. For example, they have both paper electronic ballots. So you can vote by paper or by absentee. You mm-hmm. can vote early voting by paper or electronic. Or on Election Day, you could use paper electronic. So on Election Day, they, it's a small county, so they count everything on election day. They don't count anything during early voting. Right. They took their mail-in ballots and ran them through the ballot scanner and got a count. It's 490. They ran their, their mail-in ballot through, 490. They wrote down the number. They then grabbed their early voting paper ballots and ran those through the scanner, but they didn't zero out the count. So when they ran the early voting ballots through the scanner, the number they got was a cumulative of the mail-in and the early voting. However, they wrote that number down as just the early voting numbers. Mm. Then they grabbed the paper ballots from Election Day and once again ran them through the scanner but didn't zero it out. So they wrote that number down as just the Election Day when really it was the cumulative of the absentee early on Election Day. So as a result, the absentee ballots got counted three times, and the early votes got counted twice, okay? Right. That accounts for the vast majority of the error there. Here's the problem. Well, what about that? Whether the mistake came from intentional fraud or ineptness, does it make a difference? If, if, if the outcome is incorrect or questionable, regardless, due to ineptness on the part of the people working or due to some conspiracy, does it make it any better or worse? Right. Yeah, fix it. Of course not. <laughs> and that's, and that's, that's something I try to tell audiences about is mm-hmm. be careful to really decide on nefarious motives. Right. A lot of what we have seen is just simply ineptitude. But that doesn't make it any better for the guy who left. Let me tell you, on that thing about, on that Hill County about, Hill County March 1st, 2016, there was a, so we have 1,800 missing bi- or missing voters, right? Over over voted ballots, whatever. Right. Thomas McNutt lapsed the ballot and killed by 225 votes. Can't get by votes. Right. You have the Hill County tax assessor. The Hill County tax assessor had a difference of 39 votes. <laughs> the constable for precinct chair had a difference of 188 votes, and the county commissioner precinct one had a difference of 54 votes from the winner to the loser. Yeah, that's significant. Again, we have 1,800 more votes than voters. Right. (laughs) 
Do you think the Hill County Tax Assessor guy that lost by 39 votes, it makes a difference to him whether it was a conspiracy or a nutness? He lost. Of course not. Yeah. He lost by 39 votes. Yeah, yeah. No, that, it, it matters. That's uh, that that's kind of, uh, before we got on the air, um, I was saying, you know, I don't think it on, on a, people understand that there's the federal level, there's the state level, there's the county level, and on the state level, it really matters. You're talking 39, vo- uh, 39 votes here that he lost by, and that's uh, significant. I mean, that's, that's, you know, yeah, it needs to be fixed, regardless of the motive. And keep in mind that the local governments are the largest government in this country. Everything is about a woman. But if you look at the cumulative size of local governments, they're much larger. And, and, and everybody forgets that fact. Um, there, there's so much money in that um, for, for so many different reasons. I mean, uh, e- even if you think about, the, let's think about the federal dollars. Right. Most of those federal dollars are actually getting spent through the local governments, right? So, for example, federal transportation dollars, how do those get spent? Well, they go through your county and tax dollars. Right. And a lot of those dollars get spent right through your county on transportation stuff. Uh, same with education dollars, where those getting spent. You look right at seat. Yeah. You go down the list, you know. Um, federal health care dollars, where those getting spent. Your county health clinic. Yep. Um, and so forth and so forth. These local positions administer our, our counties, especially the urban counties, really their biggest function. Everybody thinks, oh, the county maintains roads and this stuff. The reality is their biggest function, especially in the urban counties, is to funnel and administer federal funds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so, if, if you don't think those races matter, go look at some of these counties' budgets. Oh, yeah. Go, look at, go add up the budget of all the um, of cities in Harris County or all the cities in the greater Houston area or all the cities in Dallas or Carlin or Tarrant County. Absolutely. Go look at their budgets and add that up and tell me it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Oh, it matters. There, there's a, it's a power struggle. It really is. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, that's it. Money, power, same thing. And so that's really what it comes down to, and you're absolutely right. Um, I've I've said this before. Um, I used to believe, you know, just follow the federal government and and go with issues with that. But I found that my state government, I have a lot more say in that. I have a lot more uh, to do with my state government. You can influence that. Yeah, yeah. I can easily call it my representative. Rather, I can't call up President Trump. I mean, <laughs> you know, so. Um, well, that's right. You know, I know that's an extreme example, but it's the truth. I mean, I can, I can actually drive well, over and uh, go see my representative today if I wanted to. I can't do that on the federal level, you know. So, um, man, this was. Right. A, it doesn't have to be Trump. Right. It could be your congressman or your senator. Uh, it, I mean, you yeah. know, I'm as tight as they can, but I can't get an audience with my congresswoman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but I, I can go down the commissioner's court, exactly. which I did this week. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and let, me, let me make a very interesting, a very key point here mm-hmm. to, to what you just said. I made it a minute ago. Let me drive that home. Your congressman is simply allotting funding, but the vast majority of the funding they're allotting is going to be spent by your local officials. Right. Or not spent by your local officials. And so you can influence your local officials on the same dollars you're worried about your, your federal guys doing. But the, really the application of those funds is at the local level. Yeah. 
No, and so it, it, it just makes so much more sense. If you actually want to achieve results, you need to engage the local levels right back. I agree. I'm, I'm finding out that very slowly in my life. I mean, I'm late 30s, and I'm just now figuring out that, man, I, my voice is better heard on a state level, on a county level, on a city level. Um, I can I can go talk to them. I can go say, hey, look, you voted for this. Why? <laughs> you know? So, and I can do that face-to-face. I, I grew up in uh, Houston, in Harris County, and so, <laughs> and I moved to uh, Bell County in uh, Belton Temple area. And so it's a big, it's, it's a huge difference now, okay? I went from fourth, almost the third biggest city in the United States, and now I'm, uh, I guess you could say country boy now. <laughs> and so uh, the difference is, is I can literally drive down the road and go see my representative. And that's, I, I, can, I can grab his ear and say, hey, man, why are you doing this? Why, why are you voting like this? That's not, what, that's not why you're there. That's not why I voted for you. you know? I couldn't do that in Houston. Yep. But that's right. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to in Bell County. I'm speaking in Belton on Monday night, by the way. Uh, so oh. um, if you want to come out for that. I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what that is the uh <laughs> sounds like you know, I can't remember what uh but uh but yeah I'm gonna be speaking over there. I'll get the group's name though. Stay on the stay on the line whenever we get off and we'll talk about it. Because I'll I'll uh, I'll bring okay. some friends there. So but Aaron, thank you a lot. Hang on the line and I just wanna close out this interview. Aaron, I appreciate your time. Uh, again you can read Aaron's stuff at directactiontexas.com and thank you again. Thank you, and, and uh, one more shameless plug, you can like us on Facebook as well, Direct Action Texas. Right on, oh, absolutely, Facebook, I'll, uh, I'll tag you into <laughs> it, and I actually, you know what, I actually Perfect. followed you yesterday, so I don't know if you saw it yet, but anyway, well, thank you again, and I hope to have you on Appreciate again. That's going to do it for this episode. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Also, Aaron Harris, thank you for the interview. Much appreciated. And if you'd like to get in touch with us via social media, on Twitter, we are at LSV Online. Again, that was at LSV Online. And if you do a simple search on Facebook for Lone Star Voice, you should land right on our page. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.